I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast. 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 Whoa! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about that many Batman talk. Uh, what did you want me to say in this part? It's a show! Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> I am a podcast. Whoa! Hey! with fans and people, people who Hello and welcome back to another episode of Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Michael, and you're listening to an audio variety show for your ears based on the legendary 1990s cartoon, Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor, Absolutely Terrifying Teeth. Are your normal human teeth just not cutting it when it comes to scaring the hell out of your friends? Then it sounds like you need some dental reconstructive surgery by way of Absolutely Terrifying Teeth. Get them today. They're teeth. Well, we're back with part two of our coverage of the origin episode of Killer Croc. If you listened to last week's episode, you would have heard a discussion about the episode's plot with comic book artist and Batman fan Jonathan Marks. But today, we'll be talking about... Today's episode, Vendetta, with today's guest, Kevin Nolan. Kevin is a legend in the comics world. He's worked on everything from Batman and Doctor Strange to Green Lantern and Mike Mignola's Lobster Johnson, which is a favorite of mine. He was brought in to develop the original designs for Batman the Animated Series and helped set some of the looks for the entire show. On top of that, he was a real treat to chat with. It was really nice of him to talk on the phone. I know he doesn't do too many of those interviews, and he was kind and humble, and he's such a talented dude, so please, enjoy this interview. I think you're really going to like it. I'm chatting with Kevin Nolan on the phone. I said I, I put a pause in front of that because I knew I was going to mess it up, and now the world knows. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to you. Thanks for making the time to chat about the animated series. Sure. My pleasure. Uh, well, to dig into it, I, I kind of want to start at the beginning. Uh, what's your background? How did you get started in comics and you know, what, what was it like growing up where you grew up loving the kind of stuff that, you know, you get to make now? Um, yeah, I, I grew up in Nebraska. I lived in uh, northwestern Nebraska till I was about 10 and uh, drew all the time just for my own entertainment. I remember being a little kid and getting big rolls of brown, I think we call it butcher paper, but you'd probably call it brown wrapping paper, and just filling filling up this enormous uh, roll of paper with uh, with a million little Batman and Robin drawings, the TV series, the Adam West TV series was on at the time, and uh, I was a, I was a pretty big, well, like every kid my age at that time, I was a pretty big Batman fan, and drew him a lot. Um, um, 
then uh, so yeah, just just your average, you know, little little boy artist drawing drawing to entertain myself, and then uh, got a little more serious about art as I got older, especially in high school. I started thinking it might be something I should work towards um, as a career. Started out working in printing and doing uh, design work, uh, logos, letterheads, brochures, advertising, that kind of thing, uh, but wasn't very happy about that, so I I took some time and, and uh, worked really hard at putting together some comic samples and, uh, and uh, send in samples to uh, Marvel and DC. Actually had a had a helper there, Terry Austin, the, the famous uh, famous inker, had seen some of my fan art. He volunteered to uh, to take some samples in and show them to some editors to try to give me some work. And uh, yeah, Marvel gave me a fill-in issue of Doctor Strange, and I've pretty much been busy ever since then. Oh, what a cool first comic to start with! <laughs> oh, no kidding! Yeah, because <laughs> we we used to make a joke at the time that you know if you're if you're if you if you're starting out, you got to take what they give you. And we used to joke that you know it, it could it, they could easily send you a fill-in issue of uh, Disco Dazzler, Dazzler, whatever they called it yeah. at the time, something that, that no one could possibly have any enthusiasm for. But you know you're you're so enthusiastic to to get your feet wet that you'd uh, hopefully find find some way of being enthusiastic. But yeah, Doctor Strange has obviously been one of my one of my favorite, especially the Marvel characters. So um, that was a great place to start. And when you were younger watching the 60s Batman show, do you remember, any, were there any episodes that you liked or, uh, I guess, villains that you were drawn to? Um, yeah, the Riddler was really good. Frank Gorshin was just, just terrific as the Riddler. I think he impressed me more than the Joker and Penguin. Oh, wait, hey, let me back up. No, <laughs> Even as a little boy, uh, Julie Newmar's Catwoman was was hard to overlook. Um, so yeah, she she would have been the most impressive of the villains, and then second to that maybe maybe Frank Gorshin. Yeah, I actually, I'm looking at your designs for the animated series that you you ended up kind of developing, and your Riddler is very Gorshin. Yeah, yeah. Even even now, I inked a a mini series that was penciled by. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez a, a few years ago. Uh, so it, it was a Batman miniseries. Uh, and the main villain was King Tut, but the Riddler was in there as well. And I was really happy to see that that, that seemed to be, at least at least to a degree, uh, uh, an influence or an inspiration for, for Jose as well. Because it, it really, the, the Riddler looked like he might have been inspired by the Frank Gorshin. I mean, I love a spandex Riddler. Yeah, yeah. That's it's like I said. If, if you if you're a little kid and that's your first exposure to some of these characters, it's hard to get get that out of your head. That's always always going to be the definitive one for you. So, yeah. Well, what is the day to day of your you know work life like? I guess for people who don't know how comics work, and I'm not an artist or a visual artist myself, so like. How do you approach each job? Um, very 
that's a very broad question. <laughs> well, each job is approached a, a little different. Um, gotcha. And I, I, I've never really stayed with a series for very long. I did a, a couple when I was just starting out, but since then, I've I've been the ultimate freelancer and and just jumped around from small job to small job, company to company. Um, usually, at, at most, it'll be a one shot. Uh, almost never anything more than a than a mini series. Do you like the freedom uh, of being able to pop around? Is it is it more appealing to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you get you you do get tired of, of doing the same thing day after day, um, and so the you know just just changing gears can really uh, can really make it more more interesting. Um, yeah. Well, how did you get involved with the animated series back in you know ninety two, ninety one, maybe? Um, a ser- it was through a series of coincidences. I, as a kid, I had known a guy here. I, I live in Kansas, and I, I, uh, my older well, it's going to be complicated. My old, one of my older sisters was dating a guy, and his best friend was a guy named Bruce Smith who at the time was a high school kid, and I was, you know, junior high or maybe even in grade school. Um, and Bruce Smith wanted to be a cartoonist when he grew up. <laughs> grew up a little more. And uh, he, was a, he was a pretty cool guy into photography and, uh, and, and cartooning, et cetera. Not, not so much comic books, but, but like uh, magazine cartooning. And... Uh, so I stayed in touch with him through the years, and at one point, after I'd been working in comics for quite a while, he, um, yeah, about ten years or so, he he had developed a business uh, taking antique style photographs, and he traveled around. He ended up out uh, doing some work out in California, and somehow his path crossed with Bruce Tim <laughs> and the two of them were talking and I guess he gave Bruce Tim my contact information, my phone number or something. So just out of the blue, I get this phone call from Bruce Tim, who I obviously never, never heard of because he had just done uh, like tiny tunes and things like that before. And he hadn't really made a, a name for himself. I guess he'd done some spot illustrations and, and amazing heroes. If I'd been paying closer attention, I would have uh, noticed that he'd done like a, uh, Angel and the Ape piece and uh, Amazing Heroes Swimsuit issue and stuff like that. That was really good, but the name had just never registered with me until this phone conversation. He told me, he explained the project to me that they were, they were gearing up for this series and, and uh, asked me if I'd like to uh, work on some character designs. And I, I had always assumed that he had maybe seen, maybe he even mentioned that he had seen the, uh, the Man Bat Secret Origin story that I'd done for DC a couple of years before that. Yeah, it was like a 1989. I think it's Secret Origins number 39. I'm looking looking at a page from it okay. now, and it's it looks great. <laughs> Track yeah. it down if so, you haven't yeah. read it. <laughs> 89, um, and then this was probably 91, I guess, when we were having this conversation. The show debuted in 92, it probably... Um, we were probably talking in '91, um, and specifically because that Man Bat story was drawn in a, in a very 
such a pared down style where I was I was trying something different. Instead of using a lot of rendering, I I was trying to strip it down to kind of an Alex Toth look where you'd say as much as you could with just uh just a minimal number of lines. And um so again, I always always assume that that's probably why they why Bruce called me because other, otherwise there'd be no reason to to seek out some guy in Kansas to uh, to contribute uh, some uh, character design. Yeah, I mean animation. I think the the less rendered the designs, the easier they are to like maintain the model and animate. Uh, exactly. So you yeah, were influenced even, by Toth as well, because I know that Bruce Tim has kind of talked about he loved Alex Toth stuff. Who, I guess, for listeners who don't know about him, he he, he was influenced so many, so much animation as well as as comics. But uh, you know, a lot of you know, like Space Ghost uh, is basically you know Tim's Batman without ears. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And as a, as a, well, speaking of, uh, of reading the, the credits or the fine print, I remember being a kid when, when Space Ghost came on and, and a few years later with Super Friends and, and trying so hard to read those, those closing credits on those Saturday morning cartoons. Cause like, who's, who's the guy that does, you know, why do these look so much better than the other animated superhero shows? Cause they, you know, his Batman was very angular, angular and, and, uh, and beautifully designed. Uh, Space Ghost was uh, uh, Her- Herculoids. Herculoids uh, is one of my favorites. Yeah. And uh, I think I maybe had even looked uh, for his name on the closing credits for uh, for episodes of Johnny Quest as well. So you could, even as a kid, if you hadn't seen his comics, or if you were seeing enough of this stuff um, on, t- on television that uh, you could be aware of his, of his, uh, you know, of his name. He, his work really stood out even in that kind of uh, watered-down format. Yeah, and it was certainly watered-down a lot. It was, like, very stiff animation a lot of the time, but the fact that those designs shone through is a testament to how good they were in the first place. Yeah, yeah they're, they're great designs. And again, you know, they're, everything's pared down to such uh, an absurd degree, but they work they work beautifully. So you can see how that would be um, an inspiration for those guys gearing up for uh, for the Batman animated series because they didn't, you know, I assume they didn't want it to look like the filmation stuff that had been done before. They wanted it to, to maybe have kind of an edge to it and, and uh, uh, represent the best of the stuff that they were seeing in the comics. So when Bruce Tim had contacted you, what did he say about the show tonally? Um, I don't remember him describing the tone of the show, but I remember him talking about the test backgrounds that they'd done that were drawn on black paper. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was it was obvious that they were they weren't planning to do a funny Batman. That they were they were going to make the Dark Knight, and uh, he sent me a an eight track test. Uh, I guess it was a test reel that was basically an, an early version of what ended up being the opening credits with uh, Batman surprising the guys on the rooftop and uh, kind of making that close-up where he kind of squints 
with with pissed off and squints, uh, and it was a it was an earlier version of that. Um, so clearly they were, you know, it was, it was obvious they were going for kind of a film noir look uh, approach. Um, uh, but I don't think he gave me, you know, I don't think he was as I was turning in sketches. I don't think he was saying, you know, make it darker, make it uh, this or that. He was. Uh, he was just kind of leaving me to my own devices, I think. Yeah. So were there any characters in particular that he asked you to focus on, or was it kind of, give me a version of everybody? Um, only in, in that initial conversation, we may have started there, because I remember I did I did a Batman. I mean, obviously they already had their, you know, he or they had their their take on Batman figured out. But I did a, I did a Commissioner Gordon and a Robin, a Joker, um, penguin. Yeah, your really Batman cool. is great. Uh, he, he's very, he kind of, he's, he's like hunched forward a little bit, at least in the profile. I'm looking at some of them on a, I know you did an interview with a website called 13thdimension.com, which has all of them kind of lined up if people want to check them out yeah. while listening to this. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I don't, I don't think they, yeah, I don't, I don't think I, I can claim that they used anything that I did for Batman. I think I just probably did that, you know, for myself as much as anything, or just as a way of warming up, you know, because um, I did do a Bruce Wayne sketch. Again, I don't know if he specifically asked for that, if I just did it, but you kind of have to start <laughs> making it, it's counterintuitive, but you start with Batman and think, okay, now what would he look like without the mask? Um, it actually makes more sense than going the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but uh, you know that's a, that's a great thing about Batman in general is he can be he can be reduced down to just a few lines or just a just a shadow because of those little uh, pointy ears. You know if it's Batman standing there, even if you're not seeing any detail, it's just a silhouette. It's, it's obvious. Yeah, uh, but that's who you're looking at. So. Well, and it seems like a couple of the characters that you ended up providing designs for, especially Man Bat and Killer Croc, ended up being pretty close. I mean, Killer Croc is pretty much identical to your design, uh, and it's one of my favorite designs in the show. Uh, will you talk a little bit about yeah. what went into that, developing the character? Um, yes. It, I, and again, I don't know, I've heard a lot of back and forth with Bruce on it, but it was obvious that the you know, the, the first problem is you can't really do the comic book version of Killer Croc with cell animation because you can't, you can't draw a million little tiny scales all over his skin um, as he was drawn in the comics. So the idea was how do you make him look like a big human crocodile without those little scales? So uh, I focused on making that weird jaw um, a kind of long face and this this bizarre looking uh, jawbone, even you know, kind of holes in the side of his head, um, or the extended jawbone. Yeah, it's um, horrifying. In that Vendetta yeah, yeah. episode, you can there's a profile shot where you just see through it. <laughs> it's very scary. Oh, good. Yeah, see, I didn't remember that. But I'm really glad they did because yeah, that was. Uh, but you know, obviously, that's something that can be done. 
just a few lines, you know, very, very simply, and the silhouette should be recognizable. I, I did put a, a few little bumps on his head, um, maybe his shoulders as well, you know, um, in place of the millions of tiny lizard scales. And uh, like most of the villain designs I did, or even Batman, you know, the eyes are just a straight horizontal line and then some, uh, some little semicircles underneath there. So Yeah, he's uh, kind of got like a Cro-Magnon brow. Uh, right. Very very long arms. I think it's it's like such a yeah. unsettling touch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. When they made the uh, little plastic toy, little Hasbro toy, they almost made him look like a like a gorilla. Um, yeah, and he, he's not not quite. I didn't, I didn't think he should look that much like a like a giant ape, but. Uh, um, that's okay. Yeah, I remember he had some sort of headlock action feature. The toy did? Yeah. yeah. Although, they a, just made a new a one. Oh, really? Yeah, they got one, and it's it's much more accurate to your design. It's it's very cool. Oh, I have to look for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was the, that was the thrill, as those shows were animated and finally ended up on TV. You'd, uh, you'd turn it on, and that was the one where I was, you know, I'd already seen a few, uh, uh, okay, it looks like you give me credit for the Joker. I look a little like the sketches I do of the Joker, but it's not not really that much. But then that that uh, Vendetta episode came on, and I was dumbfounded. I thought, wow, wow, that really, that really looks like the drawings I did. I was, I was tickled to death because uh, it, it went straight through without, uh, as far as I could see, without any, any revisions. Uh, after I did those uh, a few sketches. Yeah, it looks the same. And, it, you know, with that many hands kind of shifting things around, I feel like it's rare for something mm-hmm. to go through that many passes and then not get shifted. But it's it's such a good design. Yeah. yeah. And I know you contributed I, pretty heavily for the man-bat design as well. Uh, what was the process like for that? I know there were some revisions with hunching him more. and Yeah. Right. Um because I had drawn that, uh, that secret origin story, I sort of had man bad in my head, looking looking more human sized. Whereas, whereas Bruce kept saying, "No, he needs to be bigger, bigger." And I did a, a lot of different sketches and tried different things to make him look bigger. And I don't think I ever got him. I don't think I ever got a, a design that Bruce like too much. So I think the final design is much more Bruce and I don't, I don't really see any of my work in there. Um, but yeah, I tried giving him a, you know, giving him a great big thick neck and, uh, almost, uh, almost a hump on his back. So he's, uh, he's more monstrous looking. Um, I tried, tried as many things as I could think of, but you're kind of limited. He, um, I think that hump on his back made it in there. Uh, that feels pretty, okay. Pretty much pulled from your design. Okay, uh, like I think the face is very different. Gave it, yeah, he gave him a, a very different face. Yes, a, a great big uh, uh, mouth, jaw. But yeah, yeah, um, and I love that episode. I, I'm not, I'm not complaining that they didn't, uh, they didn't use what I, I designed. Uh, Oh no! It didn't sound like it. <laughs> it's a terrific episode. Yeah, 
Yeah, what was your reaction seeing it for the first time? Like, you know, you had worked on it a little bit, but when it first premiered, even before that Killer Croc episode, do you remember what your reaction was? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. It it, uh, it was like a little half-hour movie, you know, with the, with the, the orchestra and the, the uh, kind of retro technology. They have, like, uh, dirigibles patrolling Gotham City and stuff like that. I was I was thrilled because it was sort of like this is this is the, the Batman I've been waiting to see for years. Yeah. You know, in a in a the Gotham City. Um well I, I guess taking a page out of the Tim Burton version, we it's a it's a city where you can actually believe all these weird things could happen, including a guy dressing up as a giant bat and and fighting all these uh these strange villains and creatures and, and all of that. The, the city doesn't look like uh, your average American city. It looks gothic. Uh, it looks looks a little strange. Um, yeah, they really capture that weird kind of dark Art Deco tone. Uh, yeah. but it always felt yeah. like it, it still leaned into the weirdness enough. You know, it never it felt enough grounded in reality, but kind of balanced with, uh, you know, a heightened sort of sense of of fantastical, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, that was that was what I thought was brilliant about the Tim Burton movie, the the, the first his first Batman. It was he made the city he made the city almost it was almost a fantasy city, you know with those incredible flying buttresses and, and uh, insanely tall gothic buildings and stuff like that. That's a city where you could believe that, a, you know, a guy could dress up as a giant bat and fight crime. If, you know, if it's not, uh, it, you know, it, it, it's almost, it almost has one foot in the, the, the world of fantasy. Yeah. Well, like, I think it's easier to believe that there's a guy named Batman when the world kind of visually supports that kind of style. Uh, you know, those yeah. giant statues yeah. that are holding things up. And, yeah, I love the Burton design so much. Uh, As opposed to the, you know, the the Adam West TV show, they were just using, I think, downtown Los Angeles or something for Gotham City. And it made the idea, you know, of a guy dressing up as a, as a bat seem silly, which I, I'm sure was their, their intention. Um, because, come on, what's wrong? what's wrong with you? Why are you dressed up that way? Right, Maybe the juxtaposition of this colorful Batman. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Uh, well, I always struggled with, with when, you, when you're doing a Batman story in comics or whatever, and he's... He's out in public, you know, on a city street. It's, in some of the old comics, you see, you see an artist and you draw Batman and he's out on, the, he's out on a downtown street and people walking by. Well, wouldn't they be staring at him? When they, just, yeah. when they draw people just walking by and they're, they're kind of ignoring him, I'm thinking, come on, why in the world would you at least turn around and look at this guy? Yeah, yeah, even if you know there's a Batman, you're still going to be shocked because he's kind of like a celebrity. <laughs> right. Are you thinking, is that really Batman? Is that just a nut putting on his costume and pretending to be Batman? You know, you're going to... 
you've got to pay attention. Yeah. But I swear, that if you look at some of those old comics, the the pedestrians passing by in the background, they're just going on about their business. Like, oh yeah, it happens every day. Who cares? So, I don't know. Yeah, they certainly grounded it a little bit more. He's he's in the shadows a lot more in these uh, animated series episodes. Um, yes. Yeah. One of your other designs that I feel like made it in there was the Robin that that I see, uh, the kind of long cape. I mean, it, it feels very close. It might be. I don't. I don't know. See, Bruce or one of the other guys that I have to tell you. You know, I mean, I, I remember what I did. I remember how he looked on the show. But I think that might have been the standard DC Comics look for the character at that gotcha. time with the spike hair and all that. I don't think I was doing anything too different from what what we were seeing in the comics at that time. So I'm not sure. Well, what are you working on these days? What are what are some of the things that people can check out? I mean, I know you're kind of all over the place. I read a this isn't very recently, but a Lobster Johnson of yours that I loved. Uh, it was great. Yeah, um, those those dark horse one shots. In the, uh, if we call it the Mignola verse, uh-huh. um, uh, Lobster Johnson, I did an Abe Sapien one shot and a Hellboy one shot with uh, with Mike Mignola. Um, those are great. Um, one one thing I like about Dark Horse is they'll they'll give you a lot of time to uh, to finish them because um, I in the and the best of both worlds, I'd be doing pencils, inks, lettering, hand lettering on the boards, and coloring as well. Um, but at Marvel and DC, there's rarely that much time. I usually don't get asked to do something at Marvel and DC unless it's fairly close to the, uh, the date of publication, whereas Dark Horse will work way in advance. Um, so, yeah, I've done, done three of those and, and hope to do more at some point because they're, they're a lot of fun. Yeah, what's it like collaborating with Mignola? It's fantastic. Um, that Hellboy story, he, uh, well, I'll tell you the background on it because it's, it's, it's just many Mike Mignola stories. It is kind of funny. We were at a, we were at a convention in England and I had inked, uh, some pencils. Uh, I won't, I won't say who, whose pencils I had inked, but, but I'd, I'd done a couple of jobs inking other people. And I think Mike, was sort of looking at them with disgust. Like, why are you doing this? You know, why aren't you doing something fun? You know, like Mike, Mike's obviously having a blast with, you know, these last uh, 20 years or so with Hellboy because he gets to just dream up things and uh, draw it, write it, or write it and have someone else draw it or whatever and, and create this, uh, this extended universe. Um, so he says, here, why don't you, you know, here, why don't you do a Hellboy story? And pretty much on the spot, he starts telling me this story about, you know, uh, crop circles and aliens in the Midwest and, and uh, uh, ghost cows. Um, I think I had drawn some cows. You know, I, I know I had drawn some cows in, uh, in one or two of the Jack B. Quick stories that I'd done uh, years earlier. And... Uh, I think he wanted to see me draw a cow again. So, <laughs> so he, you know, he, he, he just sits, 
sat there in the in the bar that night and, and spun this uh, unbelievable tale to me and said, "Here, do you want to draw it?" <laughs> of course, I'd love to. And and that was it. He he went home and and wrote it up and and uh, and I drew it. And it was it was a lot of fun. It was full of just just all kinds of crazy uh, Midwestern stuff, you know, uh, farmers and wheat fields and and uh, jolly old people in hats and and uh, pickup trucks and things like that and and aliens and cows and help one. So it was. It was a blast. I mean, that was that's quite a that's quite a situation to have somebody like Mike, pretty much Taylor, uh, Taylor making a, a Hellboy story just just so I could have fun drawing it. Yeah, it's all the best things. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. He also, I, I know, he contributed that Mister Freeze design to this the animated series as well. Yeah, yeah, which is a great episode, probably. Probably my favorite of all of them. Oh yeah, I mean it's got such a strong take on the villain too that just wasn't yeah. there before. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, it has so many of those, and that's that's why I, I really, I I really think in so many ways the animated series is sort of the definitive Batman. So many of those characters, like uh, Clayface, like yeah, that I never really thought that character worked before. <laughs> now he's. I, I I get it. He's a terrific character. He's not just a big pile of pile of mud. He's a he's a terrific shape shifting character. That's terrifying. Um, it kind of went through, I think, and took the things out of the comics that worked and preserved those. And the stuff that didn't really work, they they seem to fix. Um, so it's like a template. If uh, you know, if DC wants to use it, like oh here, this is what. This is what your Batman universe should look like. Yeah, know? it feels like it has happened too. You, now you look at comics, and so many of the characters have been influenced by the animated series. And I mean, look at Harley Quinn. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah, they hold up well. I, mean, I think the animation got a little better later on, but all the way through, the scripts were good. The ideas were terrific. They were doing. As I said, little uh, twenty-two minute uh, film noir stories that uh, that didn't seem like they were slumming to be uh, doing superheroes. They were a lot of them were sad. <laughs> I never saw a sad Saturday morning cartoon when I was growing up. The, no, almost the, all of the villains were very sad. There were very sad endings to these episodes too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they, I, they. they they're like the the best of uh, of pop culture in any in any medium. They were smart enough to appeal to grown ups, but they were basic enough that little kids could. Uh, you know, I, I know a lot of kids, including my own, who that was their really their first exposure to uh, to the DC universe. Yeah, and, that was uh, my first major exposure. I mean, I I watched some Adam West uh, and and a little bit, you know, and the Burton '89 movie was the first one that you know really. I, I dove into, but I, the animated series kind of set the bar pretty high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what messed me up because I remember being a little kid when when the Adam West show came on, and I guess you could say the same thing about it. It was supposed to entertain adults as, as well as little kids, but the problem was 
little kids like me didn't know it was satire. Yeah. <laughs> it was anything other than a straight drama. And I remember my brother telling me, you know, they're, you know, they're making fun of Batman. I go, no, they're not. You're so full of it. You don't know what you're talking about. So you'll find out later. Go up. As he's running around with a huge I, bomb on a boordwalk. <laughs> yeah, we weren't sophisticated enough to, to, uh, to, to get the humor. Well, At least I wasn't. Thank you so much for chatting about all of this. Uh, where can, sure. I guess, people find you on social media? Is there a good place to follow your work or, or get in touch with you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. There is a there is a, a Facebook account, but it's not me. It's, it's uh, somebody else. Uh, so don't write to that guy. He won't uh, be able to answer your questions. But I'm on Twitter. And, uh, um, yeah, I'm around here and there. Well, cool. Thank you so much, Kevin. Sure. My, my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, and I'd be, I, I forgot completely, but uh, my other guest, Jonathan Marks, who is a comic book artist himself, uh, came in to chat about Vendetta, and he didn't find out until afterwards that I was interviewing you, and he was like, are you kidding? I would have raved about Kevin the entire podcast, so let the record show <laughs> cool. that he loves your work, and, and I think it's part of why he got into comics himself. Oh, wow, that's that's cool. Yeah, yeah. well, well. Give Jonathan my best. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. All right, that's the show. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Follow the podcast on Twitter at BTAS Podcast and me at Hey Justin. Donate to the show to keep it going at patreon.com slash BTAS Podcast where you can get some official stickers, and that's the only way. Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted and made by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo and Casey Trela helped produce the theme song. Harry Chaskin is the booming voice of this podcast. Andrew Seeley is our show producer. Matt Brousseau recorded this interview while Emma Erdbrink edited it. And Yusong Lu helped coordinate. Thanks again to Kevin for chatting on the phone and thank you to This American Life producer Tori Malatia, who I think felt bad for threatening me with a gun last time I needed help and told me, Alfred, you're beautiful. You know, Tori, that was very flattering, and my name might not be Alfred, but I think it's a good step towards repairing our working relationship together. You know, I'll take what I can get, just like you will take a brand new episode when you can get it, which is next Thursday. How's that for a final segue? All right, guys, until next time. Bye.